You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and say, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe tribe of Asher. She would have She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Houston, and again, good morning, Vine family. It is Christmas week. How exciting is that? It seems like this year, above all other years, we had more time to get ready for it, right? But somehow it always sneaks up, but it is Christmas week, and uh, before I get going, I just want to recognize, as you know, we've been challenged, the kids of our church, to memorize the books of the Bible, and if my memory serves right, uh, there's been two more families that have come through. The Nelson kids, if you're watching, great job. The three oldest Nelson kids um, memorized the books of the Bible, uh, as well as the two oldest Shessman kids. And so great job, kids. And I got to say, as this person who receives these videos and, and hearing it, it is an encouragement to my soul to hear children memorizing God's word. And it's such an encouragement to seeing our kids um, uh, memorizing God's word. And so I pray that continues. Good job, kids. The challenge is open for any other kid out there who would like to partake. But it is Christmas week, and I can remember as my, myself as a child, even now, like expecting a lot when Christmas rolls around. And, um, <clears throat> but I wanted to ask this question to you as we get started this morning is, have you ever received a Christmas gift that was completely unexpected? Have you ever received something on Christmas that was completely unexpected? I remember one, one Christmas as a child, uh, our, our phone rang, and it was the neighbor down the street. And she informed us that she was coming over, and she had a special gift for our family. And, and I was pumped. I was excited because this family had a bit more money than us. They had nice things. 
And so my mind like began racing to all the possibilities of what this special gift would be. You know, maybe it was a basketball hoop that I would love. Maybe it was a trampoline in the backyard. Maybe it was, you know, floor tickets to Iowa basketball games. The possibilities, right? So as the doorbell rang, and as, as I opened the door, as our family opened the door in great anticipation, there she was, and there she was holding a small black puppy. And I realized that probably for everyone else listening, that this would be cause for joyous celebration, but not our family. And you can judge me. But totally unexpectedly, this neighbor down the road gifts our family a pet. That's a bold move, right? Who gives somebody a pet without asking? It was completely unexpected. And honestly, we, we, don't, we didn't want it. We, we don't do pets in my family. Well, if you're still there in Luke chapter 2, go ahead and turn your Bible on or turn to, the, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to continue this Christmas story, verses 22 through 38. And we're going to see that God's gift that very first Christmas was in the same vein, very unexpected. I mean, you you can think about it, right? Outside of a few mangy shepherds who show up at this dirty stable, right? That first Christmas comes and goes without anyone in the whole world even knowing that it came. And and while God's gift, in, in some sense, was completely unexpected, if you knew what you were looking for, it wasn't at all disappointing, like like myself with that puppy. But it was absolutely thoroughly thrilling if you knew what you were looking for and so enter Simeon and Anna that you heard Houston read from our text this morning most dramatic presentations or or readings when we read the Christmas story like we always stop at the scene in the stable right the shepherds the angels glory to God in the highest that's usually where we stop Yet out of our text this morning, we discover that Simeon and Anna reveal much more about the purpose of Christ's entrance into our world. Let's pray again as we look at this text. Father, we humbly come before you and ask and plead by your spirit, Lord, would you open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. Put us to life, renew and refresh us, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning is going to be very simple. We're just going to read through the text again together. I'm going to make a few comments as we go, and we'll conclude with just uh, uh, drawing out, reflecting together on a life lesson that I think um, we would do well to learn from Anna and Simeon today. So if you have your Bible, Luke 2, starting there in verse 22, says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, being Mary and Joseph, brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." And there's a few things happening here in these 
verses. For starters, after childbirth, according to Old Testament law, and you can find it in Leviticus 12, Jewish mothers after childbirth would have been ceremonially unclean. And for a mother to be clean again, to enter the temple and to worship again, there was a sacrifice of a lamb that was required. But, but, but notice in verse 24, right? Notice in verse 24, what do Mary and Joseph offer? It seems like they offer a, tur- a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. It's not a lamb. You see, this offering of Mary and Joseph, it reveals to us that Mary and Joseph, they're poor. They're poor. When you read the Old Testament law, it does make a provision for poor families. That if a family could not afford a lamb, that the law permitted or provided that you could offer two pigeons or you could offer two turtle doves. I didn't see where, you know, it was a a partridge in a pear tree, but you could at least do a pigeon or a turtle dove. Just meaning that Jesus was not born into a middle class family. Jesus chose to be born into a poor family. You see, Jesus, the God of our universe, of infinite riches, right, was born into a family that was so poor that they could not even afford the sacrificial requirements for Mary's purification. Just just let that sink in. Because poverty is never a sign of God's disapproval. And, and, And poverty can never prevent anyone from worship of God. In fact, it's actually opposite. It's not until you recognize and admit your own poverty of spirit that you can truly be rich in God. But Mary and Joseph are not just in the temple for the purification of Mary. They're also in the temple to present Jesus to the Lord. You see, after, as we know, as God freed the Israelites from Egypt, you remember the sparing the life of the firstborn son by the spread of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, right? God required thereafter that every male child firstborn belong to him. And before a particular age, there would be a ceremony which included several elements, and one which was to present uh, the, the child to the Lord in the temple, much like we saw uh, Hannah do Samuel in the Old Testament. So we see in Luke's account that Mary and Joseph, they're faithfully obeying every single Old Testament law and custom. Everything that was expected of them, the purification, the dedication. But what happens next is totally unexpected. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation, or it's a fancy word that means comfort, waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. This is so crazy. It had been revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of law, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and blessed God. Now, this is a crazy scene, if, if we can imagine it in our minds, right? Joseph and Mary, they don't know Simeon. In fact, Simeon doesn't even exist in their world. And Joseph and Mary, they don't exist in Simeon's world. They are complete strangers to one another. 
But as Mary and Joseph come into the temple where there's probably hundreds of other mothers and fathers going through the exact same temple purifications and presentations, here comes an old man. Here comes Simeon. And he approaches Mary and Joseph. He doesn't just like squeeze the cheeks like we do with a little kid. Like, oh, he's so cute. I can eat him up. No, he grabs the child. He holds the child. And as we'll see in the next verse, he begins this wild announcement of blessing over this child. And I know we're living in the COVID era, but brother, like, hold up. (laughs) Give some distance, right? Don't just be grabbing my child. At least sanitize, like, this is... This isn't cool, right? But here's what I find fascinating. This is just another normal day. This is a typical day at the temple. And Jesus is just just one of many other babies being presented this day at that temple. You see, there's no halo around Jesus that we often see in the storybooks, right? There's no halo around his head. Jesus is not some like wonder spouting infant like he's got the whole Torah at 40 days old just like reciting it. He's not doing that. So how does Simeon know that Jesus is the Messiah? Which says it in multiple places but there in verse 27 it's very plain that the Holy Spirit leads Simeon to this insight. That even though Jesus is just this helpless and likely, he's probably a crying baby in the midst of this crowded temple, right? That the Holy Spirit opens Simeon's eyes to see Jesus for who he is. And friends, that's the only way anybody ever sees Jesus. And the irony is so rich because all these Jewish rituals and customs and traditions at the temple were all to, they were all to point to what they're all pointing to the coming of the Messiah and yet those most steeped in all of those rituals and customs and traditions would be the last in line to recognize Jesus as the Messiah friends Rituals and traditions can be so helpful in our pursuit of Christ, but they can also prevent us from seeing Jesus as well. You know, as as a culture in America or even just in our Christian culture, we are so good about getting ready for Christmas. We've, We've got our tree, right, probably even before Thanksgiving this year. We got the lights, we got the gifts, we got the cookies. We've had Amazon come to our house 25,000 times already. We're all good at getting ready uh, for Christmas. But often that leaves very little room to reflect on the wonder and the thrill of Jesus' entrance into our world. You see, you and I, we need the Spirit of God. Just like Simeon needed it to open our eyes to see the beauty and wonder of Jesus' coming to our world. Let me urge you, just that you would pray this over yourself this Christmas, as we enter in Christmas week. Pray that the Lord would open your eyes to this wonder for yourself, for your family, as you go through your Advent traditions. Because the King of glory has come. 
He has come to save your souls. And the good news, Vine family, is that God has given us his spirit for this very purpose, to open our eyes, to see the beauty and wonder of Jesus. And so as the spirit comes to Simeon, I don't know how it necessarily worked, but some sort of nudge saying, Simeon, this is the one. This is the one. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one whom I said you would not die before you, saw, before you died. This is the Messiah. Check out Simeon's response. In verse 28, again, he takes Jesus in his arms and blesses God and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And this is a moment of moments. A moment of moments. Because Simeon doesn't just say, hey, this is a child. He says, no, this is my salvation. My eyes have seen my salvation. And Simeon doesn't just see his salvation he holds his salvation can, can you imagine this thrill for those of us who are parents you've you've tasted this joyous feeling you remember holding your child for the first time it's been nearly five years for me, but I vividly remember the first time I held Lucy, our oldest child. You know, taking her into my arms, like tightly securing her to my chest, afraid I was going to, you know, drop her or harm her or mess her up, but bringing her to my chest. And then slowly, cautiously, like holding her out and staring into her eyes, gazing, and just the... the the, the, the thrill, the, the joy just washing over my entire being. In a sense like, this child is mine. And I remember those first few days of her life, just over and over again, speaking to my little child, saying, you are perfect. You are perfect. You can do absolutely anything. You are perfect. And I love Lucy to this day. She is incredibly talented, so creative, so um, generous and, and loving. And without a doubt, God, I believe, is going to use her greatly in, a, in this world. But as much as I love Lucy and believe what God will do in her life, there's no way in which she could ever fulfill all that Jesus fulfills in, in fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament. You see, when Simeon held Jesus that day in the temple, even though he's just a baby, Simeon was holding the one who would fulfill every single promise of God. That you are holding in your arms the Messiah the comforter, the savior of your souls, the Lord of heaven and earth. Knowing all of this, can you imagine the thrill that Simeon must have just been overtaken by in this moment?
Well, look at what Simeon tells Mary in verse 34. And Simeon says to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Basically, Simeon's just saying, hey, Mary, guess what? Your baby boy's going to be a dividing line. Your baby boy's bringing a dividing line, Mary, and even for you. Meaning Jesus is going to cause such great offense by his message and by his life. Because of him, truth will be revealed, and because of him, hearts will be exposed. This baby is going to proclaim God's message of salvation that's going to upset every proud and arrogant heart. This baby is going to declare that none of us, none of us, no matter how obedient to the laws and traditions of old, are good enough to enter God's presence. Mary, this baby boy is going to be a dividing line. And every single one of us is going to be challenged. And even for Mary, Simeon says, a sword will pierce her soul. And and there's very few people in Scripture, in the Bible, is presented as attractively as Mary, right? Most of the time, every character in the Bible is is screwed up. (laughs) We don't get that so much with Mary. But even she didn't completely get it right when it came to Jesus. She was mistaken at times. You read through Mark's gospel, and she tried to stop Jesus' ministry, claiming insanity on his part. You see, Jesus' claims challenged even Mary, his mother. And that means you, you and I, as well, should expect to be challenged by the message and truth of Jesus. In fact, I'd say a sign that you've really encountered Jesus is that you've wrestled with him. Because, because giving yourself to Jesus, surrendering yourself to Jesus, every time you do that, it's, it's like a sword in your soul. It's challenging your pride. It's challenging your control. It's challenging your idols. If you've never wrestled with Jesus' challenge in your life, you've probably never grappled with his truth. This, this, this baby boy will d- draw a dividing line, and it's a dividing line that actually separates individuals for an eternity. It's serious. That's why John says in 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he gave Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so the most important question you'll ever consider in this life is what side of that dividing line are you on? Have you, are you with Jesus? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Are you on this side of the dividing line? Or are you over here? Have you, are you not with Jesus? Have you not surrendered your life? Are you without Jesus? You see, Jesus did not come so that you could become a better person. Jesus came because... You can't be a better person. Only Jesus can save. And if we take a step back from this text, if we just take a step back for a moment, we find this wonderful picture that that visually represents our salvation. For, For here in this temple on this day is an old man. 
an old man, and, and it says that he's devout. It says that he's righteous. I, I'm, I, making, he's, he's lived a long life living rightly. And yet in the middle of the temple courts, a, a busy temple amongst the crowd, this old man, he's holding this infant child. And this old, righteous man declares in front of all that in this helpless child, in this infant, is salvation. To Simeon expect the Messiah he'd been promised to behold would be a baby. I don't know. But when it's revealed to him by the Spirit that this baby is the Messiah, Simeon doesn't rise up in pride. He, he doesn't say, well, I'm more learned than that baby. I, I'm more able than this baby. I, I, I got more knowledge than, than this, right? No. Simeon embraces the message. He embraces the child and surrenders his life. He surrenders his goodness, his, his intellect, his everything to humbly place his trust in the salvation that would come through this small and helpless baby you see this is what a wonderful image of salvation of of humbling ourselves of an old man holding a child and seeing his salvation let's meditate on that image this christmas well as this unfolds in the temple with simeon another senior saint comes along. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel. I don't know how to say that. I told Houston, whatever he said I was going to say, but I totally forgot what you said. We're going to go with Phanel. But she comes from the tribe of Asher. And she's advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, if you take a a look at Anna's life, I think it's completely fair to say that her life uh, was entirely different than what she probably ever expected or hoped. You know, it says that she's married for seven years. That's a very short time. She then watches her husband die in some fashion, and then she spends at least 60 years alone as a widow. And in those days, widows had little way of providing for themselves, which meant that she is most likely very poor and very unprotected. But upon seeing the baby in the temple of this day, she as well begins praising God for the redemption of her people. And my mind can only imagine like the commotion Anna and Simeon are causing, they're stirring up in the temple that day by all their singing and dancing and shouting and praising. But, but, but out of the hundreds, if not thousands of, of people in the temple that day, they're in the outer courts. Why, why just Anna and Simeon? It, it doesn't appear, at least Luke doesn't say that anyone else in the temple that day recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. It doesn't say that anyone else joins in on this celebration. It's just Simeon and Anna, and I I find that very interesting. I find that interesting. Luke shares three things that Anna and Simeon have in common that I think maybe help us. First, he says that they're both old. Simeon appears to be near death, or at least willing to die. 
And Anna's at least 84. Translations are a little tricky. She could be upwards of 100 years old. They're old. But they're both faithful. They're faithful saints. Simeon is described as, as devout and righteous. Anna, it says, never leaves the temple. She is devoted to a life of prayer and fasting. And they're both waiting. They're both waiting. Simeon, it says, for the comfort of Israel and Anna for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, I think there's reason Luke brings these two particular people into the story. It's to show us that Jesus comes to those who wait. And there's a reason they're both old. It shows that they've been waiting a long time. In fact, the first century Jew had been waiting nearly 700 years for deliverance. They've been subject to the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now at this time, the Romans. And so the Jewish people, Simeon and Anna, they have waited and waited and waited. And now, even at the end of their lives, we find themselves still waiting. And there's a reason Luke provides this character sketch of their great faith and devotion to the things of God. And Vine family, don't miss this. Don't miss this because it's there to show us how it is that we are to wait. It shows us how it is that we are to wait. You see, their, their eyes were opened to see the Messiah because they allowed God's spirit to actively be at work within their hearts. How often do we miss what God has for us because of our unwillingness, because of our stubbornness, because of our pride to just shut up and listen and obey God and his word? Meaning, Jesus, Jesus, you're too slow I'll take things in my hands and do it my way. We do, learn, we do well to learn from the example of Simeon and Anna. Far too often we think of the Christian life as just instant f- fulfillment, right? Immediate answers to whatever prayer we give. If we do A, God will do B. But that's not always true. And I think 2020, the year 2020, has proven that. It's been a year, a frustrating year, right? Shattered hopes, missed expectations, great loss, terrible hardships. It's been rough. We've endured a pandemic that we've never seen in our lifetimes before. Perhaps you've lost a loved one in your life. We've seen racial injustices on full display. And maybe perhaps you're a victim of it. We've been through a terribly divided election, split down the middle. Maybe you've lost friendships or respect. Very much like Anna's life, I imagine life may just not have turned out the way you would have expected it to this year. You know, I think many of us, myself included, we find ourselves in a posture of waiting this Christmas. A posture of waiting this Christmas. Maybe it's this waiting, this this longing to just be with your family for a holiday. A longing to be together. 
unmask with your family at Christmas. I get it. Or maybe it's a longing, a waiting to have a family of your own. Maybe you thought by this time, this year, surely you would be married. But again, Christmas has come and you're single. Maybe you're grieving the death of a family member. Maybe you're grieving miscarriage or just going through the utter pain of infertility, waiting for a child. Maybe you're waiting for employment that pays the bills you need paid. Maybe you're, you're entrenched in, in the same sin and addictions as you were last year and you're waiting and waiting for God. Maybe you're waiting on that prodigal child who has yet to come back home. I don't know what it might be for you. You can fill in the blank, but I suspect that this Christmas season, most of us find ourselves in a posture of waiting. Friends, Simeon and Anna's life shows you that God sees you. He has not forgotten you. Lamentation says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. The prophet Isaiah says, blessed are all those who wait for him, and those that wait for me shall not be put to shame. See, no one who's ever waited upon God has ever been let down, not even one, and you won't be the first. Waiting is, in fact, an essential part of every Christian life. And that's what we're reminded of every Christmas time, and especially this Christmas of 2020. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this, the Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. That is a season of waiting for the last Advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. You see, Christmas reminds us that while we are waiting, we have extreme, we, we can have such confidence in God's promise. Jesus has come into our world, and he will come again. And, and as that did for Simeon and Anna at Christmas, the entrance of Christ into our world, it brings into our souls, into our lungs, it fills us up, it gives us reason for joy and comfort and hope. There, there's reason for our singing here this morning. There's reason for dancing, hopefully in your home, to the Christmas songs, for shouting and declaring it to all those around us. You see, when we look at our own individual circumstances this Christmas, we, we may think that our greatest need is just for, for our continued health, for our physical health, or, or for an effective vaccine and, and the rapid delivery of it. Or, or we may need, think our greatest help is some financial assistance or for some repaired family or friend relationship. But what we need most deep down in our souls is a, is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's why St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And only the Messiah, this Jesus, this, this baby that was born to, to, to live the life that you were supposed to live and condemned to die the death that, that only can give you rest. 
You see, the, the, the love that you're searching for is, is, is already found in his arms. The, the security you're, you're looking for in money or, or some other way, it's already found in his promises. The, 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 the significance you crave in others and on social media, it's, it's already been found in his approval as a daughter or son of God himself. Let me ask you, are you ready for God to do the unexpected in your life this Christmas? Did Simeon or Anna expect that a helpless baby born into a dirt poor family would be the answer that would satisfy their years and years and years of waiting? I don't know for them. That would not have been my expectation. But regardless, they embraced it. They wrapped their arms around the child and joyously celebrated their salvation. Let me close with how Simeon articulates just the depths of his soul in the midst of this joyous celebration. In verse 29, Simeon says, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You're now letting your servant depart in peace. For Simeon, holding this, this child in his arm, in a sense, he's saying, hey, Lord, now I can die. I've seen the Christ. The waiting is over. His, his heart, in some sense, it, it's settled. And he is at peace. He is at peace. But catch this. Nothing about his circumstance or situation has changed. Israel is still under Roman rule. He's still a victim of injustice. But he is at peace. What about Anna? She's, she's still a widow. She's still alone. She's still poor. She's still unprotected. Yet she's joyously celebrating God in her singing, evidencing just the, the great peace washing over her soul. Nothing in her situation has changed. But there's evidence of great peace in her life. So my question I leave to you is, can you be at peace today? Can you be at peace today? Let me ask it this way. What, what would it require? What would it require for you to find peace in your soul this Christmas? Maybe a change in circumstance, right? We all want COVID to be cured, to go away, for restrictions to disappear. Maybe, maybe some sort of resolution to an injustice, a, a husband, a wife, a, your kids coming to faith. Here's the deal. Your circumstances can always change, right? And I hope for the better. You know, I, I, I pray that, you know, the, the virus goes away. I, I pray that... You know, your Prince Charming comes, you, you find your spouse. I pray that your child knows the Lord. All those things are fantastic. But, but what happens when circumstances then change again, and this time for the worse? There's, a new, there's another virus coming. Another pandemic is coming. What happens when your Prince Charming deserts you? What happens when your child, who, who at one time was speaking the praises of Jesus, walks away from their faith? You see, circumstances and people 
will always change. We live in a fallen world. And it's foolish to bank on any person or or circumstance for lasting peace to satisfy our soul. It's only in Jesus. He is faithful. Jesus can guarantee it. And that's what Simeon and Anna do here. That no matter their present circumstances, Simeon's still a victim of injustice. Anna is still poor and alone. But yet once they saw Jesus, once they had their eyes opened to the thrill and wonder of Jesus' entrance into their world, their, their souls deep down felt a lasting peace. And they worshiped God. Is Jesus the keeper of your peace today? Fine family, what are you expecting from Jesus this Christmas? Jesus, we thank you that you did come into our world. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to come into our world to save us from our sins, to make us right with you. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of just incredible year of of hardship and ups and downs of situations and circumstances lord that you alone are still good that you still reign and when we look to you lord that we can have a satisfying peace that you are in control that we can have a satisfying peace that we can take your word to the bank knowing that your promise is true that you will come back and make all things right So, Lord, I pray by your spirit, embolden us to wait well like that of Simeon and Anna. And as we wait, may we declare faithfully to all around us of the goodness of who you are, that there is such hope, there is such treasure in believing in you. Lord, I pray that over all of our lives, that this would be true, that this would be a Christmas above all other Christmases where we find our peace, our lasting peace in you in light of everything we've experienced, Lord. Reveal that to us anew. Refresh us. Fill our souls with this. Give us song through our lungs and out of our mouths, Lord. We love you. We worship you. We thank you for this Christmas. In your precious name we pray. Amen.